Well, good morning. So a week from Tuesday, we're going to um, just have that particular gathering, our Divorce Care Surviving the Holidays. Um, it's on Tuesday from 6.30 to 8.30, and maybe for you, or perhaps for a friend or a family member, someone you know who is struggling with this currently, maybe someone who's separated, maybe someone who has for years tried to climb this hill and is still <laughs> on the journey, I would love to just spend some time with them and to be able to offer uh, them some help and some hope for one of the most difficult times of the year um, regarding uh, those who are separated or divorced. So pass the word if you would. You can sign up online. That um, website is listed at the top of your sermon notes. It's also on our website. You can certainly just call or they could call the church and we can get them signed up for that. And it will be well, well worth their time to just kind of frame up some things that will be helpful for the next couple months that are just really difficult for people who are struggling with this particular issue. Now I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47. Okay, we're coming close to the end of our series on the life of Joseph um, this week and next week, and we're going to finish that up. Now several years ago, our men's ministry challenged us in the church, a number of us men, with a ministry called Letters from Dad. Okay? It was a ministry that helped us better understand the power of relationship and the power of words and just the power of offering um, gratitude and blessings to our family in order to, uh, with the hopes of actually trying to help create a more special future for them. Some of you were part of that. It was a good, good, um, it was a good exercise for us. And our text this week took me back to that time because Joseph's father, Jacob, in these chapters 47, 48, 49, we're looking at today, his father, Jacob, is about to pass. Okay? His life is coming to an end. Now, in that ministry, some probably 12, 13 years ago, I think, um, we wrote letters. Okay, we, we had a couple of videos that prompted us and kind of framed our thoughts, but we wrote letters to the important people into our lives. So, so we wrote them to our parents, we wrote them to our spouses, we wrote them to our children and other influential people in our lives or people that we were influential in their lives. And, and so we kind of captured the history that we had with that person. And then we highlighted the beauty of their lives. And then we shared with them our hopes and our dreams for their future lives to come. And I know some of those letters, because they're special, are tucked away in, in certain places by the people who receive them. And periodically, we'll see one of them come to service. Some of you will remember back when we had Steve Farley's funeral service, that a letter that he wrote during that time to his daughter was actually read during that service. So today in our text, we're going to see some, some of the final words that Jacob has for his um, sons. Okay? And in so, we're going to see his priorities at this time as his life is coming to an end. And we're going to hear um, his blessing. And we're going to listen in as he gives his sons some words to live by. Now, we're going to spend most of the time just talking through the text and what's going on. And, and then some application pieces that will present themselves along the way. And also, I think, uh, 
The Holy Spirit will be faithful to present those to each of us individually as you get to wrestle with the text like I've had to wrestle with the text all week to figure out, okay, God, what are you saying to me? What do I need to do here? So in Genesis chapter 47, look with me at verse 27 to kind of set the stage. Okay? It says, now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and they increased in number. Now, that's just interesting to me, because if you, um, if you read most of chapter 47, just before this, you're going to understand that for those who lived in Egypt, because there was this severe famine, first of all, they spent all of their money to buy grain just to have food to eat and survive. And then the next year, they sold all of their livestock to Joseph just to have grain, to have food to eat to survive. And by the time it was all over, they had all sold all of their land to Joseph to have grain, to have food, to survive. And so you have a, a country that has just been decimated by this famine. But here, by God's hand, you have Jacob's family who acquires property and thrives and grows during this time. John Walton wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis, and in that commentary he said this regarding what is becoming the nation of Israel. He said, The time in Egypt is not an interruption of the covenant. It's instead an incubation of the covenant people. Okay? Remember we started out with Abraham and Sarah, who weren't able to have children, and miraculously God said, you're going to have a child, and I'm going to make you into a great nation, and the numbers of that nation are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, right? And they had two, two well, they had one son, and then through uh, Hagar, <laughs> Abraham had a second, okay? And Abraham and Sarah's Isaac, well, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob now has had many sons. Between his two wives and their two servants, he has 12 sons, as we've found during this, uh, this study. And so God brings this family to Egypt to become a nation, to save them as a people, not just literally, but he also gives them, as that verse indicates, an opportunity to flourish and an opportunity to grow, and sets them up for future promises that are ahead of them. But remember, they're in a famine. Remember, they own nothing. I mean, they came with everything they had, and they just took land that was given to them. And it's just a good reminder to us, as we found throughout this series, that the challenges of our life might just become the fertile soil out of which God's future for us is going to grow. And so there are times we get really frustrated and sometimes we get angry and sometimes we get depressed and all those things when difficult times are happening in our life. But it was out of this difficult time that was happening in this family that God was building a nation. And this was part of his plan to actually bless them, not to hurt them. And so Jacob, as the patriarch of the family, at the end of his life now, as we work through the text, first of all, we're going to hear from him some words of priority, like the things that are on his mind as his life is coming to an end, details that he wants to make clear, specific directions that he wants to make known so that later they can be followed through on, on his behalf. So down in chapter 47, look at verses 28 to 31 with me. 
It says, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. Okay, now I mistakenly told you last week that he lived 70 more years in Egypt. It wasn't 70, it was 17. Verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, Jacob said. So Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Um, in the NIV, your footnote would say that Israel bowed down at the head of his bed. Okay? Basically, that's a phrase that culturally means he worshiped God. And he thanked God for allowing him to give this responsibility to Joseph, one he knew he could trust. And, and he, he had him place his hand under his thigh. Now, that might get a little bit awkward for us. Okay, but that was custom for them. You know, it's a little bit heavier than, you know, hey, give me a pinky promise or something like that that we did as a kid. But he's like, literally swear to me, like this promise on your death that this is what's going to happen. It's that kind of weight for this father, Jacob, who had some really specific things he wanted to happen when he passed. When I was at the funeral home for those six years, um, I did most of our prearranging of families for their services. What they wanted done when they passed. They'd come and write it down and we'd get it all noted so that we could carry it out a later time. And, and sometimes um, those meetings ha had a lot of indecision and a lot of discomfort. And I I'm doing this because I need to do this or because I want to do this for my family, but this is the last place I want to be. And, it, and yet at other times, like people come and they just open up their notebook. <laughs> and they've got note after note after. Now make sure you get this right. This is exactly how I want this done. And, and it was a time that um, oftentimes was heavy. Okay? Sometimes very emotional. Yet almost always when our families finished going through that process, there was just a sense of relief. Either, number one, because they knew their families wouldn't have to figure it all out later on. It was all lined out for them. Or number two, for some people, just because I know it's going to be exactly how I wanted it. That's, that was the real reason I came, because I'm not sure I can trust the person who puts their hand under my thigh <laughs> to do it the way I want it. And so um, this, is, this may be my last act of control that I have in my life. Either way, like Joseph, Jacob is giving Joseph his instructions Okay, and, and I would just take note, there are a couple of things that are happening here. Um, first is that, that Jacob is just making sure that his body is going to be taken back to Canaan. Okay? When he dies, that's really significant to him. His connection with his grandfather, Abraham, and with his father, Isaac, I think to Jacob were the most important connections that he had in his life. Being buried with them was his priority. Like his, his identity was with his ancestry. That's how he knew himself. I am Jacob, son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. And that meant something to him. He was part of that, that, that covenant lineage, if you will. And his, his grandfather and his father had instilled that value in him. And, and as we read later on, he's going to also work to instill that value in his sons. 
The other thing, though, that I think is just interesting that we might not pick up on because it's just different culturally is Jacob is passing to his son Joseph um, basically the leadership of his family for that time. When I pass, you're the boss. You're the one who's taking care of it. Now, in our world, we might call that person an executor. Okay? In their world, that just meant so much more than it does in ours. And so in, verse, in, in chapter 37 here, when he says, um, uh, if I have found favor in your eyes, there in verse 29, okay? that's his way of, of passing the torch. Like, now I'm the one who's asking you. For all of your life, you would have asked me. Now I am asking you, and it just becomes significant in that way because there's a transfer of power going on, and we might miss it otherwise, but to him, to Jacob, like that was important. So upon my death, Joseph, here's what I want you to do because you're going to be the leader at that time, and I'm placing all of this responsibility on you. And so the chapter concludes, again, as we said earlier with him, bowing at the head of his bed. Okay? Meaning God has acknowledging that God has allowed him to pass the leadership of his family successfully to his son, Joseph. Now, interestingly enough, in David, King David's life, as he was near death, they put one of his sons on the throne who, like, biologically, by order of birth, was supposed to be put on the throne and David's like, wait a minute, time out. This isn't how that's going to work. Solomon is the one I've chosen to be the king. Solomon is the one who's going to follow me. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 47, if you look there, after Solomon is re- replaces the other son on the throne, you have the exact same wording happening that David bows at the head of his bed. Okay? It's his way of acknowledging God has allowed me to accomplish this in life. So Jacob trusts Joseph to take care of these details in his life. And he lined them out for him. And with those details known and like the plan secured, then Jacob moves on to some words of blessing. Now in chapter 47, we read, He knew the time of his death was drawing near. And he wanted to get some details communicated. Then it says sometime later, and we don't know exactly how long, figured it probably wasn't very long, Joseph gets word that his father is sick, okay, which translates like he's near death. And so Joseph is going to bring his two sons, his two very young sons, to see their grandfather, Jacob. Now, we know they're young because it says he he sat them on his leg or on his knee, so we just get a sense of their age in that way. Their names are Manasseh and Ephraim. And what's going to happen in Genesis chapter 48 is that Jacob is actually going to adopt Joseph's sons as his own. And there'll be some significance to that that we find as we go along. So he calls his son Joseph and his grandsons into his presence, and he starts to give them a background of the covenant. Like, remember he said, well, I told you, Abraham made this important. Isaac confirmed it. Now Jacob is passing along the significance of the promises to God to our family Here's what he says in 48 verses 3 and 4. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. And he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. 
And then Jacob explains to his son Joseph what he's about to do in verse 5. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now some of you will know or may remember and others won't, but either way, Reuben was his oldest son, Jacob's oldest son. Simeon was his second oldest son. And as such, in their culture, they received a greater share of the, of the, quote, the blessing than the other sons, meaning they received more, more land, that type of thing. Joseph, on the other hand, was the 11th of 12 children, of 12 sons, anyway, to Jacob. And as such, he wouldn't be entitled to near the benefits of the other two. And yet here at the end of his life... Jacob is going to take this fatherly blessing that was offered in that culture and he's going to give what would have traditionally gone to his two oldest sons, that blessing he's going to give to Jacob or to Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay? And we'll get a little bit of insight that into chapter 49 when we get there a little bit later on. But, but for our purposes, think about this. So here are two sons, or two sons of Joseph, okay? I don't know if they're infants or toddlers, but they're young boys. Okay? I mean, they've really done nothing in life at this point, right? Certainly nothing to deserve the double blessing from their grandfather, except for the fact that they are the son of their father, Joseph. And, and the blessing that would be Joseph is going to be now carried on to them. And the blessings that would have been Reuben and Simeon's originally are going to be given to them because of some things that Reuben and Simeon had done in their lives. Just a principle for us to, in some case I would say just note, and others maybe this is what you leave with today, just because of where we're at at different times. But there's another reminder to us in Genesis that our deeds often follow us through life and they have consequences. Okay? Now I'm thankful that my deeds don't follow me past this life. <laughs> and I'm thankful that Jesus took the consequences. But I know and you know there's a reality that related consequences sometimes happen in our life as it's going to unfold here in Genesis. And sometimes there's still sadness that happens because of them. The beauty we have as God's people and as followers of Jesus is to know that there will be an end to those consequences. There actually was already an end to those consequences. It's what happened on the cross. Now, in this ceremony... Joseph or Jacob is going to claim Joseph's sons as his own. He's going to give them the blessing of adoption. He's going to pronounce on them the blessing of, of, of large families and then the inheritance of land. And on that particular point, I just find it interesting because Jacob is going to promise to them a share of the land in Canaan that's going to be theirs. But right now they live in Egypt and they own no land in Canaan. Jacob just believes that God's promise that they will one day own land in Canaan is going to be theirs. Okay? They don't own it. They're actually going to have to fight for it before it's all done. But Jacob believes the promise, and he wants them to believe the promise as well. And so during the ceremony, Joseph and his two sons bow before Jacob. Okay? And Joseph lines it up so that Manasseh, his oldest, will receive the first and the greatest blessing, and Ephraim, his youngest, will receive the second and the lesser of the blessings. Okay? 
And then something happens that has now happened multiple times in Genesis. Jacob can't see very well, and Joseph knows that, so he's talking to him and trying to guide his father along. And as Jacob reaches out to pronounce the blessing, he crosses his arms. And he gives Ephraim the younger the greater blessing, and Manasseh the older the lesser blessing. And and Joseph protests, and Jacob says, be quiet, I know what I'm doing, (laughs) or something to that effect. And it's just interesting because the younger brother is going to receive the greater blessing. This is now the fourth generation in a row where the younger brother receives the greater blessing over the older, which would be traditionally how it would be done all the time. So Isaac received the blessing over his half-brother Ishmael. Jacob received the blessing over his full brother Esau. Joseph, we've seen, received the blessing over 11 other brothers, 10 of them which were older than him, and now Ephraim receives the blessing over Manasseh. But that was important to Jacob. And so Jacob made his arrangements, first of all, when I die, this is what's going to happen. And then he's completed the blessing of Joseph and his sons because that was significant and special to him. And then finally, he's going to call in all of the other sons, and he's going to give them in Genesis chapter 49 some words to live by. Okay? Now, literally, because we're going to read it in this chapter, we're at the end of Jacob's life. And he speaks to them about what, what their future will look like in, in this family. Remember, now we have um, these 12 sons, and there were daughters as well. Okay? But each of them, they're not boys anymore, they're, they're not, and they're not even just grown men. Like each of them are the leaders of multi-generational families at this point. Okay? They all have their own clan or their own tribe. And so when Jacob was pronouncing these blessings it, it, or these words to live by in some cases, it's not just necessarily for an individual. It's like your people, your family will have this place in the nation that God is going to build. And that's how that plays out in here in this uh, chapter 49. Now, chapter 49, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Then Jacob called for all his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come, meaning what part you're going to play in this nation God's going to build. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father. So one by one, Jacob refers to each of his sons and what he sees about their future. And for him, in some cases, it was a day of offering blessing over his sons. In other cases, it was a day of reckoning for his sons. All of them are going to be blessed because they're his sons. All of them will receive an inheritance because of their sons, and yet some of them, because of their previous acts, also have a price to pay. So Reuben was his oldest, right? If you are familiar with Genesis, you'll be familiar with the story where Reuben, his oldest son, actually at one point slept with one of Jacob's wives. And because of that, Reuben, Jacob tells Reuben, you've lost the blessing. Okay, the double blessing as being my oldest. And Simeon and Levi, they were the next two sons. And Simeon loses that double blessing as well. Some of you will remember from Genesis that, that, one of, that a man from a different town forced intimacy on one of the sisters of Jacob's sons. 
And as a result of that, Simeon and Levi went and killed every man in that town because of the actions of one. And Jacob says, because of that, because you avenged in, in that strong of a way, Simeon, you'll lose the second blessing. And you can go down through each of them. The one I think is worth noting is Judah. You remember Judah from our series here. Judah's the one who had the bright idea, hey, let's sell him instead of killing him. <laughs> Judah's also the one who convinced Jacob to send Benjamin and said, listen, if I don't bring back Benjamin and Simeon, I'll pay for it the rest of my life. Okay? Judah receives a special blessing from his father Jacob. In fact, we find out here in this chapter, this is where we start to find out that through Judah, the Messiah is actually going to come. That it will be through the line of Judah and that he has a special blessing on him and all the people who are part of his clan. And then one by one, he just lays it out for each of them. Here's what's going to happen in your part of the family. Sometimes, again, making pronouncements that will be carried out. In other cases, it's here's what you can expect that's going to happen in the future. Um, so maybe not as much prophetic as it is indicative. This is what's going to actually take place in your family. And at the end of the section, these are the words we read about these sons that would eventually become families or tribes. Verse 28 it says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Okay. So you see why my mind went back to a few years ago when we did these letters from dad. Okay. Because this is what Jacob is doing, except for they're not receiving these letters via mail from their dad. They're like face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with their dad, which had to be incredibly comforting and incredibly awkward, depending on which message you are receiving. But a reminding, a reminder, like, like th- these blessings were powerful. And they were loving. And they were final. Last week I told you about um, when my dad was dying with cancer. So before he went into remission, and, and he had two years of remission, he was, um, he was in bad shape, right? And... Um, uh, he was in remission for, for two years, which we were so thankful for. During those two years, Philip was born. And the last 10 years of my dad's life were the first 10, years, 10, 10 months of my dad's life were the first 10 months of Philip's life. And he was an active little guy. And I remember the grin that my dad would get on his face and he'd, he'd point to Philip and he'd say, there's my payback. <laughs> now, I don't know what he had to be paid back for. Uh, though I might have a few ideas of what grief I might have caused my dad growing up. But how many times in life I've wanted to be able to tell my dad, listen, like you're right about the payback, you're wrong about the child. Christopher, now Christopher was the payback for any of the problems that I, uh, that I gave you, right? But Jacob finishes his time with his sons. He finished in his mind all the formalities necessary, both the details, the blessings, the speaking into them. Look down at verse 29. He finishes by saying these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. This is Jacob. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried, and there I buried Leah. 
The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished, in verse 33, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Okay? These chapters are a reminder to us that words, like words, they are so powerful. Don't you find yourself sometimes wishing you could hear certain words from people that might fill a void, that might clarify a wrong, that might heal a hurt, <laughs> that might move us forward in life in a place when we just get stuck. Jacob was in part doing that in these chapters, anticipating his death. And it's good that he did. And maybe you've been part of a final conversation that's, that's brought some healing or some clarification to you. But listen, I've been working with people for 36 years now. Okay? Um, and I would strongly encourage you to have the conversations of challenge and the conversations especially of healing now so that you can enjoy the peaceful fruit of reconciliation for as long as possible in your life. How much better it would be if there was peace now before life was done and you could live and enjoy that because words are powerful, right? Words are powerful. And sometimes we actually just wish we could take them back. Words maybe that we said in anger, words that were said in haste, words that were said in jealousy, or words that were given with the intent to wound. And words do wound. I mean, is there any one of us that has any age on us at all that believes that statement we were told when we were young that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? I mean, words hurt. They hurt and they wound. And once they come out, they can't go back in. But that doesn't mean there can't be grace and forgiveness sought after and offered okay. I don't know that um, I don't know that when we're planning a preaching calendar that we plan on preaching what I'm preaching on today but when you preach through the chapters then these things just present themselves and I'm convinced that there's a reason that we're in this today for all of us one way or another now, there's a lot of ways we could have taken these verses, and, and I found over time that the Holy Spirit does his application. Okay? I put my words together, God gives me words to say, but he, in each of our lives, brings an application from a text at any given time. Let me close uh, with for you what is the most memorable story uh, for me of my dad and his cancer, just because I think it relates today. So, um, on this particular day, and some of you have heard this story, but not all of you. On this particular day um, in the life of my dad, I, I did what I did a lot of, and that was I would drive across the state of Missouri. I lived on the western side, and dad lived in St. Louis. <clears throat> and I would care for him, sometimes three days at a time, and then I'd drive back and work for four days, and that's how life was for several months. And so on this particular trip, God had just impressed upon me, I felt like, that I was going to share Jesus with my dad, have a conversation about this, um, and that this would be the trip, and this would be the time, and, and I was scared to death. 
right? I mean, I prayed a lot of times, God, send someone into dad's life because <laughs> um, I'm not sure that I'm the one and I'm not sure that I can. But God, I just felt like had nudged me to say, well, you can and you will, and this is when it's going to happen. And so I arrived early in the day to St. Louis, and, and I sat with him all day, and he slept all day. And, and I was kind of relieved, but mostly frustrated. Like, did I get my wires crossed? I thought this was supposed to happen, all of those type of things. And then about 11 o'clock that night, my dad woke up. He'd gotten his days and nights mixed up with his sleep, which, as you know, if you've walked that road, is not uncommon. And so when dad woke up, he, he told me, I'm glad you're here. There's some things I want to talk to you about. And so he began to tell me about what he wanted done when he passed, just like Jacob had told Joseph. You know, so here's what I want done with my clothes. Here's what I want done with my tools. Here's what I want done with my fishing gear and all the different things that he had lined out. And he said, and I know you will, like, you're going to help take care of, of Rosie, you know, which was his wife. And, and in, in my dad's case, he also said, and by the way, I don't want you to mention to my sister at all when I pass because I'm afraid that during the service um, she's going to come and steal everything out of my house, you know, just the dynamics of my family. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way that works, okay? Um, and so I listened to all of that, and, you know, I put my hand under my thigh or, you know, told him I would do it, which is all, all he needed, you know. Gave him my word, I will take care of this, Dad. And then God did what God sometimes does, right? And he gave me the words to say to my dad. And I said, Dad, I'm, I'm glad you've got all those things planned out in your mind. And I know that's important to you, and, and I will take care of them. But I want to know, like, are you really prepared to die? Are you prepared to meet Jesus when you die? And what followed was the most beautiful memory I have of a single conversation with my dad as, as he just began to weep. And he said, Chris, I have tried to think of everything I've done wrong and ask God to forgive me of it. He said, and I'm afraid I've forgotten something. And there are a lot of things I've asked him to forgive me for that you don't know about and you're not going to know about because I don't want to tell you. And I had the opportunity to tell my dad that every one of the things on that list, whether he remembered them or not, were all things that God knew about before he did a single one of them. And that God had deemed him worthy and valuable enough that even knowing all that, that he had sent Jesus to pay the price for every one of those things so that he could actually be forgiven. And that's why I have the hope that I'll see my dad again because he embraced Jesus that day. So lots of potential takeaways this morning. I'm convinced that many of us need to have some conversations. Maybe conversations where we give details but more likely conversations of reconciliation and conversations of healing and conversations of blessing and conversations of asking or seeking forgiveness. And this text draws us right there. And I'm also convinced there might be some here who maybe need to hear just that same question. Are you prepared to meet Jesus when you die? 
We can help you with any of those things. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and I'd love to talk with you about any of those things or after the service or even if you give us a call this week because these are important things for us to get settled in our mind, in our spirits, and in our families because it's that important. Let's pray together. Father, your word takes us to places that we uh, don't always venture and sometimes don't even like to venture. And yet you guide us into all truth and into all wisdom and into all healing. And so through, so through your spirit, Lord, we ask you to move us to the place where you want us to be, that we might continue to be followers of yours, trusting your good wisdom and judgment for our lives to bring us not only the best life, but the ability to give the best life to others as well. Give us strength and courage to walk these roads, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.